This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hello to everyone out there today. Thanks again for joining me here. Got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Going to go deep on the Timberwolves again. I know it feels like just yesterday we did that because we did do that just yesterday, but we got to do it again because they played a back-to-back, and it was a lot to unpack from a loss to Atlanta. That'll be coming up here in just a minute. Wild goalie Capo Kakinen joins the show here later on, talking through his improved uh, stretch lately, his hot play, and uh, just you know what that means in the context of the wild season, especially as they hopefully get Cam Talbot back here pretty soon. We talked about the dynamic between Kakinen and Talbot uh, on on this team. What's it like in the you know in the goalie room, so to speak, and a lot of other good stuff from Capo Kakinen. So I hope you enjoy. That conversation, get into a little bit of how much the Wild will need both of those goalies down the stretch because that schedule in the second half of the year is going to be a sprint to the finish games pretty much every other day because of this COVID pause they've had and because of the Olympic break. So we will uh, we'll get into a little bit of what that means and some, uh, some Kirk Cousins talk as well. Chip Scoggins had a good column in Thursday's paper. Uh, it's on StarTribune.com, of course, as well about what the new, you know, the kind of the big decision facing whoever comes in as general manager and head coach, what they are going to do about Kirk Cousins. We had a question about that um, submitted to the Access Vikings podcast that we didn't quite get to, and I will get to that on today's show. But first, what did I miss? Like I said, we're going to get into the Wolves again. Like I said, it was like 24 hours ago that I was sitting here talking about, you know, Carl Anthony Towns making the big play down the stretch against the Knicks, the team talking about fighting through adversity. They had evened their record. Um, all this positive energy going forward, how they were learning to kind of win games like that. And first off, uh, they probably shouldn't have even won that Knicks game. The NBA put out its uh, final two-minute report and they said they missed three calls in the final two minutes, all of which benefited the Wolves, including saying that that final three-point play by Towns that sealed the game for the Wolves should have been an offensive foul. But that's neither here nor there. I, you know, Bad calls are going to go either way. Probably some karmic retribution for the Wolves for a lot of things that haven't gone their way over the years. But... Maybe also some payback the next night because they go into Atlanta, um, you know, opportunity to win road back to back, something they have not done, which I'll get to here in a little bit, something they have not done in a very long time. And things are going great early. They they get a big lead in the first quarter and people are making shots, everything they're defending reasonably well and get to the second half and everything falls apart. I mean, they'd already lost Patrick Beverly to an ankle injury. Not sure how severe that is, Chris Finch said post-game. So hopefully he's back relatively soon. Didn't look like it was the worst one in the world. Even his status in-game was doubtful to return, not ruled out. So maybe that one's not too bad. But, you know, starts to unravel. Atlanta makes a bunch of shots early in the quarter. The Wolves can't keep their composure a common theme when things go wrong for them. And Cat is, you know, Carl Anthony Towns is griping at officials. His body language is bad again. Anthony Edwards picks up 
two technical fouls um, in right in a row after thinking he got fouled on a drive to the basket as things are unraveling. He gets ejected from the game, you know, a game that he was looking forward to. He'd come home to play in front of a lot of family, I would imagine, because he's from that area in Atlanta. So that's got to be a big disappointment for him. He was not available post-game, but Chris Finch, head coach, said that he apologized to the team for getting ejected. Um, that seemed like a pretty quick ejection, but you also have to be able to keep your composure. But that's also part of this team where they, when things start to go bad, this is what happens. And they talk, you know, Carlton Towns talked just literally 24 hours before that game about how they kept their composure against the Knicks, how they battled through adversity. Um, I guess it's baby steps. I guess, you know, whatever they think they're doing right um, doesn't always go right for them because the very next night they completely lost their composure. And I want to get to a bunch of stuff they said after the game. To their credit, Carl Anthony Towns was made available postgame, didn't have a ton to say. D'Angelo Russell had a lot of good things to say, as did Chris Finch. I want to hear from Finch right off the bat with kind of talking about his frustration during that game and what he was seeing throughout it. I'm not sure I did keep my cool, to be honest with you. I was pretty frustrated, you know. Um, you know, I was frustrated with uh, with certainly some of the uh, technicals and those those calls and non-calls. Um, and I was also frustrated with the way that we were playing overall, you know, a lot of frustration out there. Uh, you know, kept saying, you know, we got a lot of game left to try to cut back into it, but we never really could get enough stops, you know, so. And that's a tricky one for Finch because he's got to have Towns back. That's his best player, and he does want Towns to get calls, and I don't doubt that there are certainly times when Towns gets fouled or gets a bad call and that doesn't go his way. That said, if this is a constant over the years, and it doesn't seem to be getting better um, largely with Towns. Maybe in stretches it does, but his complaining to the referees, this is his seventh season. You know, I mean, uh, obviously, like, you know, Tim Duncan had the Tim Duncan face. Like, guys sometimes just don't really grow out of this but the constant complaining is going to get you a reputation and it's going to seep into how the team kind of reacts overall and that was a question that Finch got asked as well here is his comment on you know kind of the tone that is set when Towns is complaining so much um you know there could be some of that for sure you know um his frustration is extremely palpable and justified at times, um, you know, I just, I watch him going in there nice and strong and, um, you know, just, just, uh, getting hit and, you know, he's got to play through contact and try to finish. And, you know, I can see where he gets, gets frustrated with that stuff, you know, but we've, you know, we talk to him, we have, um, dialogue with, with the league and various levels, um, to try to, try to improve, uh, you know, his uh, relationship and uh, it's something that's a work in progress for us. Now, for his part, Towns didn't say a ton post-game. His body language was much different than it was after the win over the Knicks. He was upbeat in that game, obviously coming off of a big win. After Atlanta in the post-game news conference, he was, you know, wrapping his knuckles on the on the you know, on the podium kind of nervously or just uh, could tell he didn't necessarily want to be there, but he did answer questions, gave a pretty quick no comment. I'll play that on, you know, kind of what he thought of some of what was happening out there, but did 
give a you know a little bit more of an expanded answer on how the team can battle through adversity. Nah, this 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 for t- telling the truth in this league gets you fine. So I'm good. No comment. Just gotta keep fighting through adversity, regardless. You know. So, um, I know I know I, I understand all the questions you guys are asking and everything. They're great questions, but. Um, you know, there's a lot of things at the end of the day we could have controlled to uh, garner a win tonight. Um, did a great job of showing that in the first quarter. And, uh, you know, we just uh, we dropped the ball a little bit. And I saved the most interesting comments for last. D'Angelo Russell, who knows Towns very well. They're friends. They've been tight for a long time. He knows him really well. And he was asked in a couple different ways kind of how – how the team can battle through adversity and how ta- how Towns can handle his emotions better. I'm just going to play answers to both of those questions consecutively because it really kind of paints a picture of what was going on in that game and what the Wolves' problem really is in in games like this when things start to go poorly. I mean, that's every game for us, honestly. Um, just when adversity sets in, we're either going to go about it the right way or kind of let it roll over and affect us the next play and the next play and then the next guy's mad and then it's just a contagious domino effect so I just think that's where we where we where we got to be better you know simple as that yeah we need losses like this yeah we need losses like this because we're not ready to beat teams on a back-to-back teams we're supposed to beat we're not ready to get those stops that we're supposed to get um, that extra rebound we're just inconsistent with it. I wouldn't say we're not ready. We're not, we're not consistent enough with it to where we can beat these teams. So we need losses like that. Carl liked that. Yeah. No, nah, I'm saying like it, he likes the that 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 rah rah. You know what I mean? Um, and I realize he likes that, but it's it's a fine line between where it it, it affects the game. You know. So I realized he liked that because every game is or every other game we might be dealing with it. You know. So. I mean, you can do as you, you you can say as much as you want, but I can't do it for him. So, and he's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. He knows, you know, um, what he's saying. It's just the, it, it might affect the team, you know? So, like I said, it's a fine line of being solid, you know, when you need to be solid. And there's a time to be rah-rah and rowdy with the refs and whoever you're battling against. But figuring out that time where it doesn't affect the team too. You know, so that's the bottom line, right? I mean, Towns is an emotional player. Um, you're not going to change him to a certain degree, and you don't want to take away whatever edge he gets and uses sometimes in a positive way. But this has been a negative more than a positive net over the years, in my estimation. And it's something that he's got to continue to work on if the Wolves are going to be taken seriously in this league. Um, you can't have your best player kind of riding that emotional roller coaster every game and specifically you know, picking up offensive fouls, losing his composure, having it affect his game, having it affect his teammates. That's just not a recipe for long-term sustained success. So let me leave you with one more statistic that I hinted at the beginning of the show. Losing streaks of second game, road back-to-backs after a victory, the Wolves have lost 27 consecutive games in road back-to-backs after winning the first game of a back-to-back. That tells me that they not only can't handle adversity, they have a hard time handling success. If you can't handle adversity and you can't handle success, what exactly are you good at? 
Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Really happy to be joined right now by wild goalie Kapokakinen. He's got a nice little run here as he was a year ago as well. Uh, Kapo, how you doing? Good. Uh, good. Yeah, I've been, been feeling good um, the last couple of games and, and everything's, you know, going well. So when you, you know, when you're kind of thrust into a position where, you know, you haven't been playing for a while or, you, you know, getting spot starts and all of a sudden Cam Talbot gets hurt and you, you go into the winter classic and then you're you're rolling and you're, you're the goalie for a while. How, how do you, does your mindset change at all? Or how do you kind of shift your, your, uh, your perspective when that happens? Um, I don't think it really changes. It's, uh, you know, about being prepared and, uh, working hard in practice every day and, and working smart also doing the right things and, uh, working on your game, uh, as much as you can. And, and then whenever you get a chance to, you know, help the team, you, uh, you go out there and you can, uh, you know, feel good about, uh, your game and, and just try to execute for a goalie it can be kind of a, a journey into the nhl and some you know some forwards they get in right away and they're like lighting up the league 18 19 years old why is it sometimes a, a, a bigger developmental curve for a goalie do you think well there's only one goalie playing first of all um and and you need you need those minutes to learn and, and get that experience so i think that's uh one natural reason to that um and i think uh also when you when you get to play you gotta you know you you don't want to rush from from one league to the next next level too too quick because you know it's i think it's uh it's good for you to play a lot of games and uh in uh, whatever the level you're playing at and um then then take the next step and, and move forward uh, after that what were the biggest growth points in your game as you kind of think back to, you know, doing well with the Iowa Wild and getting your chance here and just kind of how did you kind of get established and, and kind of grow into this role you're in right now? Well, yeah, first you get into uh, any time you get into a new league and uh, you see new players, you see better players uh, in your team and then the other teams. Um, you get to see them and, and, and experience uh, how, how good they are actually and how, how they play and shoot and all that and once you see that and you can you know uh, stop those guys and um, uh, you know every here and there and uh, you can you can try to learn how they do stuff and then you know try to try to find the answers um, to that and uh, eventually I think when you, you work hard enough on that you uh, you know you'll have some success do you have one particular moment one particular save you made on a particular player anybody that sticks out is like I just stopped Alex Ovechkin or something like that. That you're like, I, that was a moment for me. Um, I don't think about it right now. Maybe, maybe after you know your career, <laughs> you look back and you 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 know you you see who you played against. But I tend to try not to focus on uh, the individuals on the other team too much. You obviously have to know where those 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 special players are um, on the ice and where you. You, you can expect them to shoot from, but I think if you start overplaying a particular player, they can also pass the puck or, or whatever, make a different play that you're expecting. So so then it messes up your game a lot, and um, you just you just gotta fo- uh, trust that you know by doing by playing your your game, you're gonna be uh, 
uh, you know, you're going to be good. Does confidence carry from game to game? Is it an individual thing where you get on the ice and you feel good one game? You, you go into a game feeling um, I'm not something's off or something. Or I'm just. I guess my bigger point is how much does winning one game or playing well in one game carry over to the next game? Uh, personally, I don't think about the last game uh, at all. And um, you know, the the games start at different times of the day. That they're in different cities, time zones. That the, the one thing I've learned is you don't always feel. You know, yeah, this is today is a great day. I feel great. You, mm-hmm. Most of the time, you don't feel great. You know, you, you don't get a good sleep at night or whatever it is. But I think, kind of like I say, this is the, the everyday work you work and uh, you do the right things. So then, even if you don't feel your best uh, day, you still go out there and you do those things right and, and you, you do the things that you've been doing all the time. You can trust that, you know, it's, it's going to be enough. And even if you don't feel great, you know, you, you're gonna most likely going to get the job done. It's been a pretty resilient team this year, even last year, too, just thinking about everything you guys have been through, continuing to go through as you've watched it, either while you're you know, in the crease watching everything in front of you or watching, you know, from the bench. What, what do you see from this year's team in particular that makes it a bit, able to kind of overcome some of these things that have been thrown its way? I think the room is great. You know, we uh, no matter we, what we want, I don't even know how many games in a row there. You know, everybody was having fun, and uh, obviously, and uh, but then we go on and we lose a few games. We're still, you know, it's losing is not fun, but we're still positive. You know, we're not hanging our heads or we're not, you know, uh, we're losing like we we suck all of a sudden or something like that. You know, it's it's we're still us and we. Are, are like playing our game and, and trusting each other. You know, we, we, we know we can turn it around, and, and then we did. And we we won a couple of games again. And you know, I think it's just that uh, that mentality we have in the room that whoever's putting a jersey on and, on any given night is, you know, we're everyone's trusting each other to get it, uh, the job done. And I think that's uh, that's a great thing. A couple more things for Capocac and really enjoying this conversation. It looked like Cam Talbot's back on the ice. He's you know. Sounds like he might get possibility he could get one of the games this weekend or could be back on the ice soon, at least to, to play again. Um, I, I assume both of you would love to play every single game or close to it. Not maybe not every game because you you got to have a rest every now and then. But you know when you have two two capable goalies like both of you have shown, what's the dynamic like between the two of you? Uh, between us, it's good. You know, all actually all three of us. You know, Hammond as well. He's uh, he's a great guy. And, I think we all get along really well. Um, we we all are competing, obviously, and and working working hard every day, and uh, kind of pushing each other that way. I guess you could say. Um, I don't make the call who plays or, or who doesn't, so I don't focus on that. I like I kind of say it's it sounds boring, but I only focus on the day, you know, uh, the practice or the morning skate or whatever it is. You know, we're doing at that moment and. And then somebody's going to tell me if I'm playing or not, and, 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 and you know try to, to help the team win. So now that we've talked kind of small picture, let's talk big picture for a minute too. Just to, for those who aren't familiar with your journey, how, how did you even begin playing hockey? What 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 got you from you know the very earliest moment to where you are now? Just outdoors, probably you know, with my my dad and my brother and then the, the kids and. In the neighborhood, we we used to play hockey out, outdoors, and and then uh, 
started playing in a, in a team. I, I want to say I was like six years old or something. Um, and then, yeah, ever, ever since I think 10 years old, I've been a goalie. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been a great ride. It's been a great ride. Should be a good one. The rest of the year is going to be busy. You guys are going to have a bunch of games to to make up, which is kind of exciting, right? I think Dean Evison was talking today, like, you guys don't want to practice. You want to play games, right? Yeah, of course, you'd, you'd rather play than practice. I mean, it's, it's been a little weird uh, the last couple of weeks. You know, you only play a game a week or maybe two. But, um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be busy. But um, I think we're uh, we're ready for that. You know, we're getting guys back and uh, back healthy and uh, we'll be uh, we'll be good to go. Kapokakin and great run you've been on. Hope it continues. And uh, thanks for joining me here today on Daily Delivery. Yeah, thank you. Really enjoyed that conversation with Capo Kakinen. Talked to him after practice on Wednesday. Cam Talbot back on the ice. Dean Evison saying Talbot is close, perhaps, to returning, which is now obviously good news for the Wild. And they're going to need both of those guys. Evison talked about how much confidence he has in both of them, how you know this recent stretch by Kakinen only reinforced that, that they don't really think about who's going to play when. Who They just kind of say... Who's playing well right now? Um, how can we best deploy both of these guys who have played very well in in stretches for sure? Kakinen especially, you know, whenever Talbot's been out for an extended period of time, the last two seasons, Kakinen's really shined. He had that you know nine game winning streak last season uh, when Talbot was out. He's you know kind of rescued them to a certain degree here with Talbot being injured since the Winter Classic a few weeks ago. Um, you know, and just. But really, you know, this isn't talking about who should be playing as much as it is the Wild having pretty good options in goal. I don't know if either one of those guys is, you know, the kind of guy you would just ride all the way through the playoffs, which is why I, I do wonder still at some point if there is a, you know, probably not this season based on, you know, what they probably think of these two goalies, but if, if there's an upgrade at a certain point or if Kakinen does sees that number one job as as time goes on uh, eventually here but this season in particular they are going to need both of those guys because you're not going to want to play the same guy you know in those back-to-backs in those you know every other day type schedule they're going to break down they're going to wear down and having two two goalies that you like two goalies that you can play is a luxury to a certain degree so we will see how that all plays out down the stretch, but a nice situation for the Wild to have in goal and certainly much better than it was than a few years ago when they were really struggling to find any kind of consistency in net. Let's get to a little news for a moment. Vikings interviewed Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore on Wednesday. Um, Cowboys coordinators, both of them, Dan Quinn on defense, Kellen Moore on offense. Kellen Moore, just 33 years old, had a really good regular season as the offensive coordinator with the Cowboys, but they did fall flat in that playoff loss to San Francisco. Interested to see kind of how the Vikings balance that out. That performance in the playoffs was not great, although players play, coaches coach. You don't know how much of everything was on somebody's shoulders versus the other. So, um, Lots of other interviews to come. Sounds like they've got eight candidates. I would wonder if there's going to even expand that pool at a certain point. But remember, they're going to hire a general manager before they hire a coach. So don't get too caught up right now in that coaching search, the GM search, 
with you know names that are probably less recognizable because these guys are a little bit more behind the scenes. Um, these guys and woman, I should say too. And that's not uh, let's not generalize because the the Vikings do have Catherine Raich as a female candidate in this pool, which is a historic development. Um, we do we do need to remember that they are going to make a hire in that realm first, even as even as they are you know continuing to evaluate these head coaches. Along those lines, let's finish with an extended cooler. Um, Chip Scoggins wrote about this, like I said, in today's paper and on StarTribune.com, the Kirk Cousins conundrum that awaits whoever takes over these leadership roles with the Vikings. He laid out the case that his preference would be that that the Vikings trade Kirk Cousins. That is his top preference, with the second one being that they just ride out the 2022 season with that big $45 million cap number. And the third preference would be extending Kirk Cousins. And those are really the three options on the table. Cutting Kirk Cousins is not really an option. That's $45 million in dead money. You'd be better off playing him because he is, as we have talked about, an above average, even if not too far above average, quarterback by most metrics. So we got a question in the Access Vikings podcast that we didn't get to on uh, on Wednesday asking, you know, what would you know, what do you think the percent chance is that Cousins is traded in the offseason? What do you think is the percent chance that he is extended? And I guess we'll also throw in the option that they ride it out um, on the you know on the on the forty five million dollar deal. Here is my guess as to what happens with Kirk Cousins this offseason. I I think I think the trade is the most likely scenario. I'm going to put that at 55%. A little bit more likely than not in, in terms of, you know, in terms of just yes or no, up or down on that. I just feel like the time to do it is now. You can probably get some value in that case. There's teams that could use a quarterback. I've been through the list before, but Pittsburgh jumps out at me. Denver potentially jumps out at me. Cleveland jumps out at me. And there's probably a few more where you add a Kirk Cousins and he suddenly helps your he suddenly helps your roster. So I'm gonna put the chances that he gets traded at about fifty-five percent. I'm gonna say the odds of an extension probably around thirty-five percent. Like you could I could see a scenario where you get a coach general manager tandem in here that says, you know what? Um, quarterback was not our problem. Quarterback was not the Vikings problem. The problem is the rest of the roster. The problem was the approach. Um, we're going to extend Kirk Cousins. We're going to make him our guy for the next three or four years. We're going to live with whatever cap number that is uh, with him taking up, you know, 15% of the cap again, because um, you would lower his number for 2022, certainly with any kind of extension. Um, I can see that. I, the problem is you've seen what happens when you build a team around Kirk Cousins. You've had evidence in Washington. You've had, you have evidence in Minnesota. Um, it's a 500 team. It really is. His record over his career is about 500. You'll be you'll be competitive, uh, but you probably won't be great. And is that what a head coach coming in, a general manager coming in, wants to establish here? Maybe that you know creates a certain buffer, creates an opportunity to keep the job for a while, but it doesn't get you any closer to an ultimate objective of winning the Super Bowl. But I could see a, you know, an opportunity where someone would come in and look at this and say, this guy gives us the best chance to win over the next two to three, three to four years. Let's keep this train moving and try to build around him in a more meaningful way. 
I'd put the option of him playing it out at $45 million at about 10%. That just would wreck their cap in 2022. I think Ben Gessling talked on Access Vikings about how really that contract, that number was put out there as a trigger, that this was supposed to be the point where you either extend him or something else happens, that he was, it was unlikely at any point that he was ever going to play out the 2022 season under that cap number. But let's let's say they explore the trade market and – there's not a deal out there that they want to do. They're either having to take on too much money, they're not getting enough in return, they don't think it's fair value, but they also don't want to commit themselves long-term to Cousins. I suppose there is a way where you just play out the season. You probably have a credible year with Kirk Cousins. Maybe you draft your quarterback of the future either this year or next year and start planning for the future while still maintaining some semblance of you know, competitiveness this year. I just don't think that's likely. It's hard almost impossible to field a competitive team when he is a $45 million cap hit next season. He'd be taking up like close to a quarter of your salary cap. You just can't really have that happening on your books. But we will see what they ultimately decide to do, what these new decision makers decide to do whenever they are in fact hired. For my money, I do see it being more likely that he gets traded than anything else. But again, I am not the one making that decision. I am merely the one who is talking about it and talking about it perhaps nonstop for the next two months. That will do it for today. Mark Craig will be on Friday's show talking NFL playoffs, NFL picks for the weekend. Probably will pick his brain on some of this coaching search and GM search as well. So look forward to that. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Daily Delivery. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and we'll see you again on Friday.